Good to be with all of you this morning. Uh, as Pastor Tom said, uh, my name is Eric. This is my wife, Bethany, and our little munchkin, Leslie, here. Um, she is just over a year old. Can you wave? Hmm. <laughs> there we go. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you. Um, just wanted you guys to get to see them. This is our first time being here at City Church. Um, I just want to thank the missions board and Pastor Tom for inviting us. Uh, thank you to Nancy um, for all the hard work that she put into making this work somehow in the midst of COVID. Uh, we're just so grateful that we've been able to be a part of this. As Pastor Tom mentioned, um, I actually grew up in East Africa, in Tanzania. My parents were missionaries out there since 1983, uh, so a long time ago. And uh, growing up there, I, I felt early on that God's call on my life to ministry. Um, I, you know, when, when I, once I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I just went in my room, I shut the door, I laid out on the floor, and I said, God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. Just don't take your presence from me. I just want your presence with me all the time. And um, so, you know, God called me to Hawaii, and uh, <laughs> but I went to seminary. Then after seminary, I went back to um, Tanzania for two years. And then while I was there for two years, I found out about this church in Hawaii that was looking for a pastor. They said they were looking for somebody between the ages of 30 and 40 with five to ten years of pastoral experience. And I wrote back and said, well, how about somebody between the ages of 20 and 30 with no pastoral experience? And they said, oh, we'll, we'll talk. And we talked, and, you know, they liked me, I liked them, and Hawaii. And, um, and so they, they asked if I would come, and, and I really felt like, yeah, this is God's will, that, that God wants me to go to Hawaii. <clears throat> he really did. But, uh, and on my way there, though, I stopped in Minnesota for about a week and a half. There was another church there that was interested in having me come work there. And um, while I was there for a week and a half, I met Bethany. We were just at a couple, a few young adults gatherings. I thought she was gorgeous. She thought I was okay. And uh, so, so we, did a, we did some long distance dating because I was back in Africa again for another six months. And uh, eventually I took a little detour, went to Minnesota for about a year. We got married and then we both moved out to Hawaii for about five and a half years we were out there pastoring. And um, yeah, it was just, you know, it was amazing to see God work. It's always a privilege when you get to be on the front lines of God working in people's lives. Um, it's just amazing to see people being drawn deeper into relationship with him, people being, uh, coming to know him. Um, it's just, it, it was just such a beautiful time, and, and God just was so good to us during that time. And uh, at the end of our five-year commitment, we were praying about, God, what do you want us to do now? Where do you want us to go? And uh, we really began to feel that God was calling us towards moving to Tanzania to work with my parents. As Pastor Tom said, they've been out there now for many years, and they've, there's 20 different Bible schools, and they've also started a mission school. Um, just to tell you a little bit about the situation in Africa, the church in sub-Saharan Africa is it is the fastest growing church in the world. They estimate that by 2060, there will be over 775 million new believers in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, yeah, that is, that is incredible. What God is doing there is just 
mind-blowing. But along with those new believers, we need new pastors. We need new leaders in the church. If you think about it, over the next 40 years or so, uh, there's going to be about, about 15 million new believers every year. And if each church is around 100 people or so, that's 150 new pastors needed every year. That's a huge, huge need. And so what we're going to do is we're going to be training pastors. My parents have been doing it for many years. My uncle did it for a long time as well. And I was speaking with my uncle uh, a few weeks ago, or a few months ago, and he said, you know, Eric, when we went, the need was huge, but I feel like it's even bigger now. Even though there's been a lot of work done, even though there's been a lot of leaders trained, we need even more now just to keep up with the incredible growth. So it's a really good problem to have, right? When, you, when you're like, we just can't train enough pastors because people are getting saved so fast. So, you know, be praying for us because that's what we're going to do. We're excited about it. And the other part of what we'll be doing, so we'll be training pastors, but we're also going to be training missionaries. Uh, Ten years ago, my dad, along with some East African leadership, they started the East African School of Missions. And this school, is, it, its sole purpose is to train missionaries, East African missionaries, to go to unreached people groups. The East African Church is a great resource for missions. I mean, these people are relational, they're adaptable, uh, they're, they're on fire for God. And uh, so we're excited about what God is going to be doing through these African missionaries that have been trained. There are about 40 missionaries now that have been trained and that are working with unreached people groups. And so that is just, it's just an exciting thing to see what God is doing. And I believe that, you know, God is going to use these East African missionaries to, to reach places where it's hard for us Westerners maybe to go, right? How many of you know that there are countries in the world that really don't want Americans there? And so, so these East Africans, they're able to get into places where it's more difficult for us to go. And so we're excited about what God is going to do through the church there. Let's, um, before we go to the Word, let's pray together. God, I just thank you for this opportunity to share your Word with your people. God, I pray that you would speak through me. God, I pray that your truth would go forth, nothing but your truth, God. And Lord, that you would be building your church during this time. God, as we heard that we would be that we would be getting ready for your return, Lord, that we would be as a bride ready and waiting, who's adorned herself with everything that, that is required. So Lord, we want to be your church. We want to be your people. We want to be the called and sent ones into this world. God, not just the missionaries, but Lord, every single person in this church, in your body, we pray that we would be all that you call us to be. God, we don't want to miss the destiny that you have for each one of us. We want to walk according to your calling, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love, um, I love missions conferences because it's kind of a time to refocus and reprioritize my life. How many of you guys know, like, we kind of drift, right? In life, we drift. We, we kind of, if we relax, we kind of just drift downstream, and drift away from God's purposes for us. And our, our priorities, our focus, it all gets out of whack so easily. 
especially in, in our country, because we're constantly bombarded with so many messages of, of it's all about you, it's all about you, being happy is what it's all about. And, and how many of you know that that's really not the gospel? The gospel really isn't about God making you healthy, wealthy, and happy. The gospel is about living a crucified life. Um, I want to share a story. Uh, about a year ago, August 31st, I had the opportunity um, to go to the Hawaii State Fencing Championship. Uh, fencing, it's, it's something that I did in high school for a couple of years when I was in the States for two years. And I actually got okay at it. And I, while I was in Hawaii, I was actually coaching kids in fencing at one of the high schools. Uh, it was so much fun. But this, this fencing tournament, it was a Hawaii State fencing tournament, and it was an open tournament. So anybody could enter, which meant that I could go and I could beat all these kids that I've been training um, and, and beat up on their coaches, too, uh, who were older than me. But anyway, I have a little bit of advice. You know, if you ever want to excel at a sport... This is for all the young people. If you ever want to excel at a sport, pick a really, really obscure sport and then go and live somewhere where almost nobody does that sport. Okay? And you can be state champion. So, <laughs> yeah. So pick a really obscure sport, go live somewhere where almost nobody plays it, and you can be the best at whatever you do. Uh, that's my free advice, okay? That's nothing to do with... Uh, that's not from the Bible. That's just something I had... Um, but anyway, so I went to this fencing tournament, and um, there's three different weapons in fencing. So first weapon, I got fourth. Just missed a medal. Second weapon, I got fourth. Just missed a medal. The third weapon, I got first. And I was like, over the moon. I, I thought to myself, this is the best thing I've ever done. Like, this is the greatest thing I've ever done. I am the state champion. I am the Sabre state champion. This is incredible. And not only that, but when I was going, because I had to go to another island for it, and when I got there to the rental car place, they were like, hey, for five extra dollars, we can upgrade you. You know, I had a little compact, and they were like, for five dollars, we can upgrade you, and you can drive a Mustang convertible. And I was just like, all right, well, yeah, this is, this is good. And uh, I was like, sure, five dollars. I won't drink coffee next week or something. But, um, but anyway, so I drove up to this tournament in my Mustang convertible with the top down, hop out, go there, you know, get first place in one of the weapons, driving back to the airport. I'm just like, this is like the best day ever. You know, this is, I've never done anything so great. I've never, you know, I've never gotten to drive a Mustang convertible before. Can life get any better than this? And uh, it was a long day. We fenced for about nine hours. So it's a long time to be like in this position all day long. So pretty sore by the end of the day. Got back home around 11 o'clock, and uh, I'm like, oh, ready for bed. Hop in bed, fall asleep. About two hours later, 1 a.m., Bethany wakes me up, and she's like, um, I think my water just broke. It's time to go to the hospital. And uh, so I was like, okay, all right, I'm, I'm coming. I'm like barely, you know, just shuffling out. And a um, Little word, word of advice, you know, if you're, no matter how sore you are, don't complain about it when you're in the delivery room. Uh, <laughs> you know, Bethany is in the midst of delivery. I'm like, I had my job of like holding one of her legs and my arm just started cramping and just started like going down. Like I couldn't, like I could not physically keep my arm up. I'm just watching my hands just lower. 
And I said, uh, Bethany, just one second. I just need to switch positions. My arms are cramping. And all she heard was, my arms are cramping. And, uh, <laughs> and she looks at me and she's like, well, I'm dying here. And uh, the nurse gave me this look like, you better not say anything else. That's, that's probably good. And um, it was the most amazing, the most wonderful, the most disgusting, the most um, traumatizing, but incredible experience of my life. Uh, being there for, for Leslie being born. It was, it was absolutely incredible. And um, I wouldn't have missed it for anything. And, you know, the next day, I was going to drive home and take a nap. And uh, Bethany's mom had flown out from Minnesota. She got there, like, just before the baby was born, just in time to hear my stupid remark. And, um, and uh, so, you know, she was going to take a shift there at the hospital. I was going to go home. I was going to take a shower and, and sleep for a little bit. And as I'm driving home, I get out of the car, get back in the apartment, and there's my bag of dirty, sweaty fencing stuff with my metal sitting on top of it. And I was just like, Psh. you know, I said, you know what? This was the best day ever. That other day that I thought was just incredible, it was nothing. And, uh, you know, a year went by, August 31st rolled around, and I completely forgot about the fencing tournament. It just streamed right by. September 2nd came, though, and that was a party. That was exciting. We were celebrating little Leslie. We were celebrating the life that she is. And I can tell you, over the last year, um, I've gotten way more joy out of Leslie than I did out of that little piece of metal. And a year later, what I thought was the biggest accomplishment of my life, the, the most special moment of my life, you know, whoo, Hawaii State champion, I was like, oh, I was like, I don't really care. I'm a dad. That's way better. And um, I wonder often how many things in our life are, are we just so excited about right now, or we think is such a big deal right now, that in two billion years, we're not even going to remember. It's going to seem like absolutely nothing, seem completely insignificant. Uh, I, I'm planning on being around in two billion years. Anybody else? Yeah, we'll all be there, right? We're going to be there. We're going to be praising God. We're going to be worshiping him. I'll probably still be just running around going, oh my gosh, can you believe this? Like, ah! Uh, it'll probably take me a billion years just to calm down a little bit. But, but you know, in two billion years, many of the things that I consider significant right now are going to seem just totally worthless. Like, wow, I can't believe I wasted my time on that. Because in heaven... In the new creation, in the new heaven, and the new earth, we are going to be just so obsessed with and so excited about one thing, and that is the story of God's redemption here in the world. That is what we're going to be excited about, and we're going to spend eternity just contemplating it and being excited over and over and over again about the fact that God has come and rescued us. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. In Revelation chapter 5, uh, Revelation, you kind of peel back the curtain and you get to see the invisible world behind everything that's going on in the world. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, we see the, li the living creatures and the 24 elders surrounding the throne of God. And this is what they're crying out. They're saying, 
Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, it says this, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seal, for you were slain, and by your blood you have ransomed for God a people from every tribe, tongue, and language, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests, a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Uh, church, I want to talk to us today about something really important, and that is that we are not the main characters in the story of the universe. Amen? We are not the main characters in the story of the universe. It's so easy especially in our culture where everyone's telling you, be true to yourself, you know, do what feels right, follow your heart, all those things. Um, it's so easy to think that the world revolves around us and that God exists to make us happy, healthy, and wealthy. That, that that's what God's purpose is, that he's there to, to, to help me improve my life a little bit so that if I get in trouble, I just pray and God makes everything all better and... Bueno, right? But, but that is not at all the story of the universe. That is not at all the story of Scripture. Jesus Christ is the main character. If this was a, a film or a novel, Jesus Christ is the protagonist, and we're all supporting characters. We are not the main story. We are not the big deal. We are just side characters. Um, and... <laughs> And God invites us to be a part of that story, though. Even though we're not the main part of the story, he invites us to have a role, sometimes a big role. And, and, and when I say a big role, I don't mean what the world thinks of as a big role. Sometimes it's the smallest act of kindness that God sees as a huge thing in his economy. Uh, I, I heard someone one time say that kindness is the lever or the fulcrum point that God uses to move mountains. God uses little acts of kindness to lead people to himself. Little acts of kindness to change the world. And so we can have a huge role in the kingdom of God, even if it looks like something super small. But God invites us to be partners in building his kingdom, in telling his story of how he has redeemed and ransomed from every tribe, tongue, and nation a people for himself. Uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul, uh, is here he's talking about his ministry and how different ones were trying, to, were trying to lift up one apostle over another and saying, no, this guy's really the best one. No, this guy's actually better. I like this guy's teaching a little more. And Paul is saying, look, all of that is pointless, all right? Because on the day of judgment, God is going to reveal what kind of work everybody has done. And he's going to try it not by, oh, what looks nice or what's really flashy, but he's going to try it by fire. And what lasts is going to be a reward, and what does not last is going to burn up. Let's go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 10. It says this, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
Okay, so first of all, you can't build on another foundation, right? Like I said, there's only one story of the universe. There's only one meta-narrative of the universe, and that is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, coming to rescue humanity. There's only one story, and that's the only one that we can build on. But Paul continues on. He says this, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be manifested for the day will disclose it. The day. The day of the Lord. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on that foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is built up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. This is kind of a sobering passage because Paul is telling us very clearly, he's saying, it matters how you live. It matters not just that you're built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, but it matters what you build with. And I think in a lot of ways, what, what, what makes the difference is our motivation. Okay? We can do a lot of really good things, things that look good, and be doing it out of a motivation of selfishness. Right? You can, you can be a good father, but if the point of you being a good father is just so that you have a nice family and you can live your American dream, that's not going to be glorifying to God, and that won't stand up to the test. But if you're being a good father in order to bring glory to God, to help your children follow after God, to seek after Him, that's a different story. Because your motivation is to glorify God and bring Him pleasure. I think that's the kind of, that's the kind of work that will last. Because it's not about making us great, it's about making God great. It's about telling God's story. You know, a lot of times, I think our, the American church, we, we give in to what's called syncretism. Anybody ever heard of syncretism? Okay, it's, it's basically taking your old religion and adding Christian characters to it. But you keep the same worldview in a way. Let me illustrate it. In Africa, we have a lot of witchcraft, right? We have a lot of people who really believe in the power of witchcraft. And so, say if somebody's sick, you would just take a chicken or a goat, you go to the witch doctor, he does his little thing, and, you know, somebody's supposed to get better. Well, when, a lot of times when people come to Christ, they keep that same worldview, but they just change the characters around. So if somebody gets sick, you take a chicken or a goat, you go to the pastor, the pastor prays, and this person's supposed to get better because you brought your chicken or goat, right? And so... That's called syncretism. It's, it's, you're keeping the same worldview or the same opinions, but you're just exchanging a, a few of the characters. You get rid of the evil spirits, you bring in God. get rid of the witch doctor, you bring in the pastor. And similarly, I think the American church, we do the same thing. We, we, we exchange a few of the characters around, but we want to keep the American dream. We want to keep the easy life. We want to keep uh, living for ourselves, even though we exchange a few of the characters. Rather than just working really hard and pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, we pray once in a while and God blesses us. But we keep, we're not living a crucified life. We're living with ourselves still on the throne. And God is just kind of like the fairy godmother who we need him to just sprinkle some pixie dust every once in a while so that our life still keeps on going well. And God, like I said, he... He exists for our story to make us healthy, wealthy, and happy. 
rather than existing to make us holy and wanting us to be a people that are set apart for his purposes, not for our purposes. Oftentimes we try and bend God to our will as opposed to trying to bend ourselves to God's will. Can I be honest with you guys? Sometimes that's exactly what my prayer life looks like. It's me trying to go to God and say, hey God, I've got this plan. I've got this really good idea. This is what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to bless my plans. Here's how I want you to bless my plans as opposed to going to God and saying, God, what is your plan and what do you want from me? Church, the, the Christian life is not the American dream. It's the crucified life. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me. That means that we don't get to choose where we're going. It means that we are bearing a cross, which is the instrument of death, and we are following a crucified Savior. Church, that's not, (laughs) this is not about, um, like I said at the beginning, it's no longer I who live. It's no longer about us. It's about bringing glory to God. And the beautiful, the wonderful thing about missions conferences is that it has, we have to recalibrate our focus. We have to say, okay, where am I? Am I truly living for God? Or am I living for myself and then I sprinkle a little God on top? I read my Bible every day. I, I pray once in a while. Or am I living an actual crucified life where I am not the person in charge? And I have stepped out of the main character role, and now I am playing the supporting character. And it's not about me. It's about making the main character look good. It's about bringing glory to the one who it's actually all about. And that's, that's a liberating thing in a lot of ways. Because Jesus says, I will build my church. So Jesus is the one who's doing it. And we get to step out and... and and we get to be a partner with him in doing it. And, and church, let me tell you, the reward is incredible. The reward for, for living a crucified life as opposed to just kind of trying to go on our own, as, as Paul says, you know, you'll, you'll be saved, but as through fire. I don't want to get into heaven by the skin of my teeth, right? I want to go in there rejoicing. Uh, church, in, in Matthew where Jesus is telling the parable of the talents. Anybody remember that parable? The master comes and he, and he gives each of his servants, three of his servants, a certain amount of money. And he tells them, invest this. Use it wisely while I'm gone. And when I come back, we'll sort it out. And to the two servants who used the money wisely, who invested it, I love what, what Jesus says the master's words are. He says, well done, good and faithful servant, Come. Enter into the joy of your master. Somehow, the joy that we bring to God's heart by living for his glory, by by crucifying our flesh and living for him, that joy, it radiates back to us. Even though we're not doing it for our joy, but we're doing it for his joy. But, But the end result is always that joy radiates back to us. Somehow, I don't understand it fully, right? Because the new creation, it's going to be awesome for everybody. But at the same time, God is saying, if you live faithfully, if you put my kingdom above your own kingdom, it can be even greater. The joy that you have in the future can be even greater than what it will be if you just kind of skate in. Church, i got to be honest with you. The, 
The kingdom of God, I think, is going to be filled with a lot of third world pastors and missionaries and Christians who lived a crucified life who are going to be much more filled with so much more joy in the coming kingdom than we are in the American church because we kind of skate in, right? We're just kind of like, I'm still going to live my American dream, but I sprinkle a little God on top of it. Church, I want to invite you to live the crucified life, to recognize that I am not meant to be on the throne of the universe. The universe does not revolve around me. It's not about my story. It's about Jesus Christ and his story of redemption. And to step out of that place of, God, do this for me. God, make me happy. And into the place of, God, what can I do for you? How can I make you happy? And, and, and this doesn't mean that every single one of us is going to head off to the mission field. No, the, the kingdom of God, the growing the kingdom of God is so much more broad than that, right? So much more broad than that. It's being faithful in the areas that God is calling you to. And like I said at the beginning, it may be something that to the world looks so small, and yet because God is calling you to that, you're committed to do it, no matter what the consequences are. Um, a lot of times we, we commit to follow God as long as he makes it a smooth and easy path. We say, God, if you'll just open the door, if you'll just make sure I don't get fired from work for sharing the gospel, if you'll, you know, if you'll do these things for me, then I'll be obedient. Well, that's kind of conditional obedience, right? That's not full surrender. That's basically telling God, you know, the most important thing in my life right now is my job, or it's my house, or it's my family, or whatever it might be. That's the most important thing. And if you'll take care of that, then I'll be faithful to you. And that's, that's idolatry, right? That's idolatry. Anything short of God, no matter what, I will be obedient no matter what it costs me. Anything short of that is, is putting something else in the place of God. Because in reality, that thing that you say, God, unless I have this, I can't serve you, that thing is actually your God. And until you come to the place of open hands where you say, God, not what you can do for me, but what can I do for you? God, how can I surrender myself for you? How can I live wholeheartedly for you? That's what God is calling us to as a church, as a body. I believe that, you know, faithfulness to God, it costs something. It really does. It costs something because the world, it will persecute you for it. You will receive trials. You will have, you will have difficulty in this world. One of the biblical promises that Jesus gave, right? We don't like to claim this promise. I haven't heard many people praying that. I haven't seen it in a promise book yet. But in this world, you will have trials and tribulations, right? That's a biblical promise. So don't freak out when you have trials and tribulations. God promised it would happen, so it'll happen. Um, But be of good courage. I have overcome the world. Amen? In this world, you will have trials, you will have tribulations, but be of good courage. I have overcome the world. Church, I want to end with um, a quote from Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was a a preacher back in the 1700s, and uh, 
He, he lived just a sold-out life for God. And, and at one point in his life, he said, I resolved to make myself as happy as possible in the next life. I resolved to make myself as happy as possible in the next life. How many know that we have so many people living to make themselves as happy as possible in this life? So many people. I'd say the majority of the world, that's how we live. Actually, I'd say 100% of the people at one point or another, that's, that's our motivation. And yet through the Holy Spirit, because we get a glimpse of who God is and how much greater he is, how much greater his purpose is, how much greater his love is for us, we can crucify our flesh and say, you know what, I'm not going to make myself as happy as possible in this world. I am going to resolve to make myself as happy as possible in the next world, in the next life. That takes crucifying the flesh, and that takes being surrendered to God's glory, God's will, not our will, not our happiness, and surrendering to the point of saying, God, you are in control, you are king, but ultimately that's what's worth it. Two billion years from now, like I said, you won't remember what car you were driving in 2020. You won't remember what house you lived in in 2020. You probably won't even remember that COVID happened in 2020, okay? It'll be a blip on the radar screen. But what will be remembered is the joy of our master that we get to share in when we come into his kingdom. Church, don't sell, don't sell yourself short by living for your pleasure, living for your glory now. Let the main character be the main character. Be a good supporting actor. Be a good supporting character. Be, be the kind who says, it's not about me, it's all about God. It's all about him. Um, one more illustration, I'm going to close with this. Have any of you guys ever seen that... Um, the video is circling, it's uh, circling around the internet now. It's the triangle solo. Anybody seen that? It's, it's pretty funny. Anyway, when you go home, just look it up. Triangle solo. It's, you know, in the, tri- in the orchestra, there's the one guy who just has the triangle. And he just dings it every once in a while, right? And that's his role, is just ding the triangle once in a while. Well, anyway, this or- one orchestra thought it'd be hilarious if he had a solo, so, you know, he comes out and he's just ringing on this thing and jumping all over the place. And, you know, it's, it's, it's hilarious because it's just so comic, right? That, that, that you would give a solo to a triangle player. A triangle in its proper place, it can make a big difference, right? When you just hear that ding. But somebody coming out and just trying to play their triangle solo, it's a little bit silly. And similarly, when we try and put ourselves at the center when we try and say, it's all about me, it's not about God. When we, when we try and say, God, bend to my will, as opposed to bending to God's will, as opposed to, to humbling ourselves and living that crucified life, we're playing a triangle solo. We're not doing what we've been made to do. We're not doing what we've been called to do. And it's very forgettable. But God, in his great love for us, invites us to partner with him in reaching the world, to partner with him in building his kingdom in the world, in small sometimes, sometimes small and significant ways, but the only way we can do it is we have to step off of the throne. We have to recognize who the main character is. We have to recognize that our part is to just be a supporting player. Our part is to just support him. And if we do that, we can live for something that will last. 
and something that will bring joy even 2 billion years in the future. Amen. Pastor Tom, would you come?